2: It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... I could see our and coming up, over the next 90 minutes, government secures staff-level med- agreements with IMF over a $3 billion extended credit facility subject to management and board approval. But the minority says this is nothing to smile about
3: and the excruciating and unacceptable hardships in the country is not likely to end. Therefore, staff-level agreement to us means nothing. It must come with board approval and management approval.
2: Also coming up guilty but free, Capital Bank's Emmanuel Ato asian escapes jail term after striking a deal with the state to pay back money he stole. He
4: cannot hold any management position in a financial institution. If you take our constitution, because stealing involves dishonesty, he cannot be an MP.
2: There's more on that particular story and others here on Eyewitness News. There would also be business.
5: Finance Minister affirms commitment towards extensive stakeholder consultation on debt restructuring program.
2: Still with 97.3 CTF and we are broadcasting around Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including... Tungsung, 97.3 FM in Wah in the Upper West Region. Also on Tanga, 93.7 FM in Bolga in the Upper East Region. In the Northern Region, we are on Radio Bimbela, 91.9 FM in the eastern side of the region. In the Volta Region, we are on Revival, 99.3 FM in Tajevu, Cool, 103.5 FM in Ho. In the Ashanti Region, we are on Focus, 94.3 FM in Komasi, Also, orange 107.9 FM in the same city, Kumasi. In the Bono region, we are on greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the western region, we are on beach 105.5 FM and sky power 93.5 FM. Both of them are in Takradi. Let me know what you make of the stories we are bringing you tonight. On WhatsApp, the number is 0549 986 996. 0549 986 996. We are also Live on Facebook, and you're watching as via the CTFM Facebook handle. Do drop your comments under the comment session on the live feed as you watch. Let's settle for details of our stories now, and the first one has to do with the IMF program.
6: And government has given a firm assurance that it is committed to complete all previous and ongoing engagements to ensure it secures a deal with the International Monetary Fund by first quarter of 2023. This comes as the IMF staff and the government of Ghana reached a staff-level agreement on economic policies and reforms to be supported by a new three-year arrangement under the extended credit facility of about $3 billion dollars. The deal was reached after almost six months of engagement. Speaking at a press conference, Finance Minister Ken Furiata called for stakeholder cooperation to ensure that Ghana gets an approval from the IMF board.
7: Against the backdrop of the staff programs, I mean, let's um, be clear that we are Ghana indeed blessed um, to conclude um, this SLA within this period. Um, uh, So in recent times, this is quite historic in terms of the speed in which we have come to this. Uh, and if we look also um, uh, at, uh, at the path that uh, Zambia, Chad, and Ethiopia have gone to, uh, we can see that um, this is quite a miracle in its making, and really to thank uh, the fund uh, for, for the commitment and dedication that have come through this. Um, so the government and I with a you know, um, have really sacrificed um, to be here and um, the the team behind all of this, uh, the staff, once again um, at BOG and the staff um, at the Ministry of Finance under the leadership of uh, Patrick Nomo has been phenomenal and we thank them um, for for this. Um, Key to this has also been um, uh, our two Um, deputies um, Abna and John, uh, and also um, Charles um, who who left us, Um, just lots of um, work has gone into this. Um, So the key deliverables over the period um, include the preparation of the PCPEC program, uh, medium term macroeconomic framework, um, debt sustainability analysis and debt management strategy, structural reforms to address structural bottlenecks, improve competitiveness and promote efficiency and effectiveness, Uh, a memorandum of economic and financial policies, and an agreement on prior actions which are expected to be completed before the fund goes to the board. Um, All of this indicate that Ghana um, stands ready to complete all the prior actions um, before Um, This is successfully done certainly within the first quarter of next year looking at end of January if we can push it as we have done this one. So we are committed um, to the program as a whole and we will do our part to make it happen. The SLA is only one aspect of the approval process. More is yet to be done to secure IMF management and board approval. And that is what we all of us as Ghanians should work to ensure. that we go through. Um, Key fiscal measures, structural reforms, and the medium-term macro-fiscal framework in the 2023 budget are aligned with the IMF-supported program. It is therefore crucial that we receive support from all stakeholders, uh, especially Parliament, to ensure that the 2023 budget, including all revenue measures, are passed. Um, and not return to um, last year's um, um, experience that we had. And the creditors also to ensure a successful debt operation. Um, So even as we engage um, the domestic in the exchange, uh, we'll be looking um, for discussions um, with the bilateral partners and also with our bond investors. And we expect um, to to get through that um, so that we'll conclude um, with the fund and the board.
6: You heard that Finance Minister Ken Ofuriata. Now let's hear from the IMF Mission Chief for Ghana, Stefan Ruder, who has been highlighting some areas of focus to restore the country's macroeconomic stability and also debt sustainability.
8: The authorities requested an IMF-supported program in, in early July. We have uh, since then been engaging very closely, and uh, I am extremely pleased to uh, announce uh, that the IMF has reached a staff-level agreement with Ghana on a three-year program that will be supported by an arrangement under the extended credit facility um, and in an amount of about $3 billion. Let me add uh, that the, the agreement is subject to approval by uh, the IMF management, as well as the, the IMF executive board in the period ahead, contingent on receiving uh, financing assurances from Ghana's partners and, and creditors. The Ghanaian authorities have committed to a wide-ranging economic reform program, which builds on the government's post-COVID-19 program for, for, economy, for economic growth, the, the, the PCP and a program that tackles the deep challenges facing the country. I'd like to highlight some, some of the key elements of the, of, of the program. It includes reforms uh, to ensure the sustainability of public finances. And to do so, the government will implement policies that lead to a reduction in the, in the fiscal deficit by enhancing domestic revenue mobilization and by, by streamlining spending. The government also announced a comprehensive uh, debt restructuring. The program will also include uh, reforms to strengthen fiscal transparency and and public financial management, improve the management of public uh, enterprises, bolster governance, and tackle structural changes in the energy and cocoa sectors. Reducing inflation, preserving financial stability, enhancing the resilience uh, to, uh, to external shocks, improving market convenience are all also very important program priorities. Importantly, the program will seek to protect the most vulnerable and create space for growth-enhancing measures and and social spending. Finally, uh, the government is taking steps to promote private sector investment and, and job creation. Before I turn to the Honorable uh, Minister. I'd like to thank him and the Bank of Ghana Governor Addison and and their teams, many of uh, whom are are represented uh, here today, um, as well as representatives from from the various uh, government agencies we have interacted with. I'd also like to thank uh, uh, Parliament's uh, Finance Committee and, and all the private sector trade union civil society representatives we have been engaging with uh, over
6: the past six months. Thank you. Let's still stay on this because the minority in Parliament says government's pleasure of reaching a staff-level agreement with the IMF for $3 billion support is premature. Speaking to journalists in Parliament, the minority leader Harun Idrisu says government must rather focus on securing a management and board approval of the fund.
3: What is important is not a staff level agreement, but a management and board approval of Ghana's application by the IMF board, which probably may take us to April or even beyond. And therefore, staff level agreements. I see them dancing and celebrating to it premature. Our debt is still not sustainable. The debt exchange initiative of the minister may probably fail, as many are refusing to sign on to it. The content of the external bonds are still unknown. They are running out of time to announce the haircut associated with the external uh, bonds. So for the Minister for Finance to be dancing and say that, praise me, because I have brought an improvement in the exchange rate of the city which was falling with some epileptics. Uh, Praise me. He should ask himself, at what level did he inherit the city against the dollar it was 4.2 cities to a dollar at 12.5 there is nothing to celebrate and nothing to honor him for. what he has done in the last three months his collapsed businesses if not persons and there's cruciating and unacceptable hardships in the country is not likely to end therefore staff level agreement to us means nothing it must come with board approval and management approval. If you read the text well of the agreement which has been signed, two important paragraphs. The second paragraph emphasizes reforms. There aren't enough reforms even in the budget for us to think that we are reforming and restructuring the economy. Also, it's also conditional on other matters relating to making debt sustainable. A precondition.
6: So that was the minority leader. Well, he's also been asking for requisite details of the government's debt exchange program to be presented before the House. Given the debt
3: exchange, they must bring something and lay here for the people of Ghana. The Minister of Finance cannot just walk away and see everything in this country is determined by him. If you are doing haircuts, you are changing uh, contents of agreement whether domestic or external they are contractual and those contractual comes with obligations He must come and lay a paper in this house how he intends to work on the external debt because when this house approved those rules agreement we approve them consistent with article 181 terms and conditions you can't vary the terms at your pleasure or as it pleases a certain minister for finance. Those terms and conditions must be brought to this house for our scrutiny to satisfy ourselves that he can go forward doing what is debt exchange. The information available to me, Mr. Speaker, is worrying. Even his that exchange program is almost being boycotted. Let him come and inform this house how many people have signed onto it to save this country and to save the economy.
6: Minority Leader
2: Haruna Idrisu. This is news on 97.3 CTF. And so as you heard the mentioned by uh, both parties, the fact that you have a staff level agreement does not necessarily mean you have secured a deal. The board of governors and also managers of the fund would have to take a final decision. And we are told that this will take us all the way to, let's say, early uh, or first quarter of next year. We'll be following that story, also getting some perspectives and analysis when we come back, this is Eyewitness News. Please stay with us.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
2: You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Lots of you reacting to the uh, staff-level agreement reached by the government. Ejakwe Kanga writes on our Facebook post, and he says, Going to IMF now. It's not because of incompetence of the current administration. Tomorrow is pregnant. Always Sadat says, uh, "I really enjoy your chat with Kofi Adams." And on um, point blank, the last time, okay, that's last night. Thank you so much. Um, Kwashi wants to know. Kwashi Daniel wants to know how you can listen to us in Kumasi. We have a number of affiliate stations. You can do Focus ninety four point three FM on the campus of the KNUST, or you can also do Orange one hundred seven point nine FM in Kumasi um baba chairman in tamale says so the ndc can't and won't stop the bad wishes for ghana if the staff level agreement means nothing as honorable minority leader wants us to believe then it wouldn't be a criteria in the imf negotiation uh yabag or Yabag real says um my happiest week i've come across is when the dollar was rising NDC is fighting and fuel prices reducing kudos to the um caring president and the Peace Party, NPP. Baba Chairman, I think I've read that, okay, yeah, I've read that already. Uh, do send us your messages for 0549-986-996 or go on our Facebook post and drop your message there. Professor Goffey Buckwin is an economist. Prof, you're welcome. welcome to Eyewitness News. The government is jubilating that it has reached staff-level agreement, but that's just one of many steps that have to be cleared. The minority says there's nothing really to smile about. Please analyze that for us, considering also that there are oppositions to the government's debt restructuring program. Apologies, uh, we've lost uh, Professor Godfrey, but we will try to re-establish contact with him. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3. CTFN, we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. We are also around the globe. On citynewsroom.com. So a summary of the story we have for you on City Newsroom is that the IMF has reached a $3 billion agreement, $3 billion agreement with the government of Ghana. The story says uh, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, has reached a staff-level agreement with Ghana on economic policies and reforms to be supported by a new three-year agreement under the extended credit facility of about $3 billion U.S. dollars. According to the IMF, the authority's strong reform program aimed at restoring macroeconomic stability and debt sustainability while protecting the vulnerable, preserving financial stability and laying the foundation for strong and inclusive recovery. The IMF said to support the objective of restoring public debt sustainability, the Ghanaian authorities have launched a comprehensive debt operation. In addition to a front-loaded fiscal consolidation and measures to reduce inflation and rebuild external buffers, the program envisages wide-ranging reforms to address structural weaknesses and enhance resilience to shocks. An IMF team led by Mr. Stefan Rude, mission chief for Ghana or Chef de Mission, visited Accra during the December 1 to 13 period in 2022 to discuss with Ghanaian authorities IMF support for their policy and reform plans. Quote, I am pleased to announce that the IMF team reached staff level agreement with the Ghanaian authorities on a three-year program supported by an arrangement under the extended credit facility in the amount of SDR 2.242 billion or about 3, point, about $3 billion U.S. dollars. The economic program aims to restore macroeconomic stability and their sustainability while laying the foundation for stronger and more inclusive growth. The staff-level agreement is subject to IMF management and executive board approval and receipt of the necessary financing assurances by Ghana's partners and creditors. He continued to say that the Ghanaian authorities have committed to a wide-ranging economic reform program which builds on the government's post-COVID-19 program for economic growth and tackles the deep challenges facing the country. Key reforms aim to ensure the sustainability of public finances while protecting the vulnerable, the fiscal strategy relies on front-loaded measures to increase domestic resource mobilization and streamline expenditure. In addition, the authorities have committed to strengthening social safety nets, including enforcing reinforcing the existing targeted cash transfer program of vulnerable households and improving the sovereign the coverage I mean, of efficiency of social. Spending. Let's um, suspend that and go on the phone lines and speak to Isaac Adongo. He's a member of parliament for Bulgar Central and deputy ranking on the committee of parliament responsible for finance. Honorable, you welcome welcome to Eyewitness News. Your side is saying that there's nothing really to jubilate about, but this is the first step of many or one step out of many that we are going to go. And it appears things are working smoothly as the government has planned since they announced this IMF program.
0: Well, thank you very much, Umaru, and uh, good evening to you and your listeners. Uh, basically, uh, like your intro is saying, uh, this is basically confirming that government and the IMS have reached an understanding on what exactly needs to happen in order for Canada, Ghana to, to achieve the compliance criteria for a program. The government and the IMF are quite clear of the measures that have to be taken and the steps that governments would have to walk in order to ensure that there is a program. So this is nothing more than an outline of a memorandum of understanding. That memorandum of understanding is saying that we do agree that given your circumstances, you need to get debt sustainability. That has not been achieved. To date, not even a central bondholder has signed up to the debt exchange program. So there's really nothing that has been achieved on debt uh, exchange program. The IMF says that you are agreeing that you need to front load a set of fiscal measures in order to clear the heightened fiscal risk that the economy faces and government says yes, we will take the steps. We will document what exactly we think must happen so that if we are able to document them and, 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 and the IMF agrees, then you may pursue an IMF program that can be approved. It says that will, you have to take steps in order to rein in the level of fiscal dominance at the Bank of Ghana in terms of how much you are borrowing illegally from the Bank of Ghana, which is swelling interest rate and which is swelling the, the the inflation and bringing some pressure on the exchange rate. And you say, I do agree. Now I will spell out the specific actions that I need to take in order to ensure that that happens. And I will let you see those steps and agree with those steps. So what we are basically doing now is I will have a memorandum of understanding between the government of Ghana and the IMF on the number and the set of actions in terms of their sustainability and the debt management strategy going forward, in terms of the fiscal actions, and in terms of the, the set of monetary policy actions that have to be taken. Now, what that means is that at this point in time, the diagnosis that was going on has been agreed. And we do know between the government of Ghana and the IMF what the ailment is. We also now understand what set of remedial actions have to be taken in order to cure the ills of the economy. And we do both agree that these are the conditions precedent that may lead to an IMF program. So really nothing is completely achieved. But I least to the extent that we have an understanding with the IMF as to the way forward, and as to what the ailments are and what set of policies that we think would address that, I think that is some achievement and it is now left with government, not the IMF, to pursue the level of actions and put together the kind of programme that will convince the IMF that we will be able to correct the kind of imbalances that we have in the economy.
2: Now if we have for come, me, it,
0: it, it. that is about what it is.
2: Okay, so if we've come that far, it means we can take care of the rest or so we can tackle the rest of the issue. Do you reckon there are some difficulties in attaining the rest of the requirements so that there's a possibility the fund would say no? Because all indications suggest that we are in for a good move.
0: So the most difficult part of the, of, of, of the negotiations is where we are now. The most difficult part is how do we get Ghanaians who are bondholders and non-resident Ghanaians who are bondholders to sign up to government policy on debt exchange, which is a critical step. To what extent do we? The IMF and government agree to what levels our debt must come to. Now, the difficult task is not the fact that we have an understanding with the IMF to do a debt restructuring and to undertake a debt exchange. The most difficult part is not this understanding. The most difficult part is how do we achieve that now that there is opposition? I am aware that the banking sector has done an impact analysis of this current proposal, and it is quite clear that the banks do know that they will lose about 75% of value, and that if we were to even give all these $15 of so called support from government of Ghana or Bank of Ghana to them for free, it will still not address their problem and they will still be in a very deep hole. So clearly you can see that there's foot dragging. And of course the banks are not like anybody else who will go and speak about it and will make noise about it. But quietly they are disagreeing. And that is why even though we have just about six days left for that that offer to elapse, they haven't taken the step. The the association of the, the the securities industry players have issued a statement saying that in this current form they disagree and they would not want to sign up to a program in this current form and some further engagement have to happen. Trade unions are saying that their pensions are already perilously low and they do not think that they want to further aggravate the pension difficulties of of, of their workers and they're saying that these investments that are made by the pension funds are supposed to accrue some level of returns in order that their guaranteed and promised retirement can be met. Under this arrangement, they are not going to see those returns, and so they disagree. So you can see that the difficult part is not a pronouncement that we agree that you must achieve that sustainability, but it's about how do you achieve sustainability in a way that stakeholders, are able to walk a path with you that is acceptable to both parties. That is the most difficult part that government must, must must deal with. And so you can see that the difficult work actually starts. What set of policies are you going to do? a government that, if you look at this budget, basically has doubled its expenditure. The IMF is saying take the set of measures that will trim and realign these expenditures. And for a government that is not willing to tax expenditures, that is where the difficult task now begins. Do we continue with a cathedral? Do we continue with the size of government? Do we decide now to say that look, let's buy the bullet? Do we still continue to run development authorities that only yesterday we were quite when we met them were quite disappointed that it has become a big fiscal hole for the country? Said that they are not completing their projects, they have projects sitting on their books. To the tune of about 1.5 billion and with cost escalation and inflation, these contractors are calling for price fluctuations that could double that figure sitting on the, on the books of government. So you have these challenges that you have to deal with. And for me, the difficult task begins. The IMF and government have given the signaling of where policy intent must follow. The difficulty is how do we walk that path? And for me, this is when the work
2: will start. Thank you so much for speaking to i It's Honorable Isaac Adongo. He's Member of Parliament for Bolga Central and Deputy Ranking on the Finance Committee of Parliament. Let's hear from Professor Gopher Botpin now. He's an economist. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. It appears it will not be a walk in the park for the government, but the fact that they have come thus far it shows that their commitments and the programs and policies they put in place are satisfactory to the IMF. You disagree or you agree?
9: Yeah, thank you very much. Good evening to your cherished listeners. I think that um, reaching a staff level agreement is an important um, breakthrough. Um, and what that also tells you is that it, it tells you the level of commitment of the IMF in getting the country out of this mess. They have demonstrated their commitment by reaching a staff level agreement with the country, probably in a very short time. That's a lot of work, working around the clock. You know what that means? Now, what that means is that between staff level agreement and having a program now depends on our government to also demonstrate by taking, completing certain prior actions that would enable the staff to present the staff level agreement to the board for approval. So the ball is now in our court. So government now has to work its talk of ensuring that whatever that they have to do, and and, 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 and and it's going to be quite difficult, right? The reason it's going to be quite difficult is that this is a government that hasn't demonstrated that it it, it is actually participating in the burden sharing, okay? And because the government is not participating, the government is just doing the minimum, in terms of expenditure-based fiscal adjustment, which would have helped in lessen the burden on the financial system. And therefore, there is a pushback. And the other bit is also the approach, right? The approach that seems to treat everybody else as subjects, and that government is royal. And royals make decrees, and it has to be respected, or you, you disrespect it at your own peril. That is not good for market-led economy like ours. And therefore, government, what government needs to do now is to, is to re-strategize, right, embrace alternatives on the table. But I also think that regardless of what government has done in the 2023 budget, there's considerable scope for, for, for expenditure-based fiscal adjustment that gives government that moral authority to come to the negotiation table. Other than that, you are not showing leadership right now you see there's some level of acceptability if i if i survey the market that a certain level of debt restructuring is almost inevitable if i listen to the bankers association uh, uh, and the other statements that have come but i think people want to also choose the kind of the style of the haircut that they want to have government must be open to that right so let's not force the haircut in addition to the style also so let's be open to the kind of um, uh, 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 restructuring that also preserves the balance sheet of the participating financial institutions because whether we like it or not we cannot today in the name of meeting imf uh, 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 getting imf program systematically weaken the balance sheet of the financial sector of financial institutions that in itself is going to affect our medium to long-term growth prospects because government alone cannot finance its overall economic strategy. It will still need a robust banking sector, a robust financial sector to do that. Now, you are operationalizing debt treatment at a time when inflation is very high with higher volatility in the market, and if you mark to market, government financial instruments today in the books of the financial institutions, this is translating to huge losses. And under, under Basel II, some of them may have to even bring additional capital or require some kind of liquidity support, right? Even though Bank of Ghana has hived the 3% capital conservation buffer, essentially reducing the capital adequacy to 10%, it's still not enough to be able to, as a shock absorber, in terms of the impact of that debt exchange. So to, to that extent, some level of revision is needed. But to bring your debt to a sustainable level, it should not take only debt restructuring. A combination of fiscal adjustment, right, both revenue and expenditure, so far the 2023 budget is heavy on the revenue side. Remember that, again, has implications for cash flows available to households and then the private sector, right? But it is lean. It is so too small on the expenditure side. Meanwhile, it has to take a combination of revenue and expenditure to generate a certain primary surplus which will contribute to debt reduction. Then debt restructuring also comes to support by doing its part. But because the government has failed to internalize the austerity and they want to push all the burden to the financial system, that is why that pushback is unavoidable.
2: Which of the, which of the uh, issues is going to be most difficult for government to tackle before we finalize the IMF deal, if we finalize at all? I
9: think some prior actions are largely within government control, audit, plastic programs, uh, COVID-19, many of those things. But I think the critical one, the critical one is actually the debt exchange. Okay, it doesn't have to take the form that a formal agreement has to be reached, but there has to be a considerable significant assurance that creditors are on board and that they, they, they are meeting government halfway. Okay, so, and, and that is not something you want to achieve over a month, especially given the approach and the attitude of government in how, because, you know, there's, there's no credibility right this was this was this a country where the president told us that there will be no haircut okay so it doesn't have to get to the point where if the if my president tells me that i should look up for my own safety i have to look down right so government will have to look at its own communication strategy that when you tell somebody x it doesn't have to be x bar right so so you, how do we work together how do mm. we build consensus across the political divide remember this IMF program would have to would, would, would transcend beyond probably one regime because it's 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 a 3 year program 2024 is election Right, so you need for the implementation and general acceptability, you need to build consensus across political divide, across different occupational groups, and various or multiple stakeholders uh, in 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 the, in the economy or in the country. If if we if we fail to do that, and remember, Sander, that um, we are here to go into the deeper austerity of the IMF program itself. Okay, when it is approved. Okay. Of course, the 2023 gives us the visible tip of the iceberg, but there's more to come. And therefore, you need broad-based consultation in getting everybody along, right. and not the approach that government has adopted in more or less trying to ambush the financial system.
2: Thank you so much. That's Professor Goffred Buckman. is an economist. Let me speak to the government now. John Kumar, Dr. John Kumar is an MP and Deputy Minister of the Ministry of Finance. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. So, you have achieved staff-level agreement, but analysts and critics say that is not enough. There's actually more to come. Walk us through how you are planning to deal with this issue so that we secure the uh, facility that we're really looking for from the IMF without problems.
1: Yes, thank you, Sander, and greetings to your listeners. Um, The good news is that today um, the IMF and government of Ghana announced in a joint joint press conference uh, officially that uh, Ghana has achieved the SLA, the, the sub-level agreement. Um, of course, it's not the ultimate, but it's a very critical step towards um, getting a program from the fund. Uh, once you reach the SLA, then it now goes to the management and board for approval. And uh, many people did not give Ghana the chance that uh, it will be possible within five to six months to be able to achieve a staff-level agreement uh, in an IMF program, uh, in a a bid to get an IMF program. So um, on the whole, we just want to give thanks to God for his mercies uh, for Ghana to achieve this at this level. We know that it is not the end. There are a number of things we have to do in terms of uh, meeting certain prior actions before we are able to get the board approval but we strongly believe that with the same spirit and cooperation and working together we will be able to achieve that within a very record time
2: now the challenge that has been seen by many is that your consultation appears to have been uh, incomplete because if it was complete we would have seen lots of agreements there uh, Jamaica example is what comes to mind anytime we discuss the uh, exchange program, the debt exchange program that you have brought about. They say that because you have not done wide co- wild consultations, you are having all these groups in, groupings uh, oppose your program. How are you going to um, have a proper negotiation and a deal with the IMF when you do not have buy-in locally?
1: Well, uh, Sander, we have to clarify this issue of uh, stakeholders engagement. There are different uh, components to this uh, transaction. We have direct institutional bondholders who are going to be affected by the debt exchange program. Here we are talking about the banks and the insurance and uh, all the uh, institutions that have invested in bonds. And then we also have groups who are indirect beneficiaries of the, uh, let's say, pension scheme. Uh, if you, if you hear groups like the trades union and the other unions complaining about this scheme, they are not directly the bondholders. They have placed their investment with pension funds that uh, have invested the money on their behalf. So there are different categories of uh, engagement. Let me state categorically that all direct institutional bondholders were, uh, were firmly uh, engaged and consulted in the process. But we could not exhaust the indirect uh, beneficiaries like the unions who are not direct bondholders. And, of course, we couldn't have exhausted all interested parties in the process. So as government has already announced, um, even though we have announced um, the program, consultation still goes on. We are engaging all the unions and all the interested parties who are not direct bondholders but, of course, our beneficiaries uh, of, of such schemes. And then we have government has assured them that, uh, let's say, if you are trade your own Congress who have an interest in a pension scheme and your beneficiaries are on a retirement within 2023, and let's say there's a liquidity challenge from that, for, from that uh, pension fund, government has set up that fiscal stability fund to support the pension fund to be able to pay out Uh, or uh, benefits to uh, the the said investor. So clearly, all these things will be resolved once we are able to explain to the extended indirect bondholders, or those who have placed uh, their investment with pension funds. So we believe that the immediate bondholders have been well consulted. We will continue to engage all the other groups who feel that they should have been consulted more. But don't forget the environment that we were in and the speculation that was going on and the and the the fear and panic that people all of a sudden started announcing that people should go and withdraw their money from banks and things were going to happen so we didn't have much time to exhaust all levels of consultation but i want to assure you that we have we have engaged all the affected groups and will continue to engage even those who are indirectly uh, uh, going to be affected and support them throughout the process I heard prof talked about the impact on uh, bondholders and uh, and it's true but the problem is that if you are a bank and the you don't have you are not operating in a strong macro fiscal environment as we have seen right now eventually you are losing a lot on the market So you are going to gain more and we are able to work with each other to improve on the macroeconomic environment so that eventually you have a better market to operate in and more gains to tap from. So this is a collective, we believe, a win-win situation if all stakeholders work well with government to improve on the macroeconomic environment, which will post a better return to to, uh, all players on the market. Of course, immediately we may have to give up some potential returns that we were expecting.
2: Now, do we have a timeline we are working with, a specific timeline by which time we expect that this deal would be firmly signed and delivered?
1: Yes, uh, I think when government did the announcement on 3 December, we announced that uh, I think it was 10 days or 14 days uh, to pick for all interested parties to uh, apply for the new bond. So we strongly, we're looking forward to um, I think by next week, uh, uh, we, we should be able to bring the domestic debt exchange program uh, to a closure in terms of uh, engaging all uh, potential uh, players and stakeholders to come on board.
2: Is there any of the opposing groups that you have succeeded in convincing to agree?
1: Uh well, we'll continue to talk. Like I told you, all the unions that have come out strongly, they are not direct bondholders. So they are not they are not the immediate targets as far as the program is concerned. It's rather the pension funds, the banking institutions, the insurance companies, those are the ones that uh, government, uh, uh, they have the direct bond investment that government has engaged already and will continue to engage. And we believe that initially, of course, there were some uncertainty about the program, but with time, I believe people have understood.
2: Okay. That so so really no, no institution has made a U-turn upon engagement. Has, can you give us how many institutions have signed onto the program so far, if there's any?
1: Well, once the deadline is gone up, I cannot give any details about who has and who has not.
2: Very well. We'll wait to see what happens before the deadline. Thank you so much for speaking to us. All right. Now, Dr. John Kuma, his Deputy Minister of Finance. Now, let's go to the court. Today, the High Court has uh, made a decision. It has convicted Emmanuel William, I beg your pardon, William Atoacian, uh, who is founder of Capital Bank. In that case, that has been brought against him. He and two others who have been standing trial. The two other persons he's standing trial with have been... Acquitted and discharged He does dete nete and Fritz Geraldo donco He, William Atuisi, however Was convicted on his own plea And uh, he came To the court or came to an agreement With the state to pay The money that he Stole back to the state And for that reason he works free And uh, he would have to pay that money We want to quickly test this We'll be having more on that on Point Blank When I engage Deputy Attorney General Uh, but before then, let's speak to Adam Senanu, he is co chairperson of the Citizen Movement Against Corruption. Adam, is this something that falls within your radar even though it was done in a court, an agreement was done between the state and someone who stole state money?
10: Well, yes, absolutely. Um, To the extent that this was money that uh, have been reported in the public space, uh, has been taken Um, under circumstances that were undesirable, uh, and that the investigations found that there were certain persons involved, is going to court, and to the extent that there's a ruling where the money, there's been a settlement and money is retrieved. Yes, it falls under a space, and it's an example of um, uh, good governance to the extent that money has been retrieved.
2: Now... There is a view that henceforth we should be proceeding on that line where if money is lost to the state, let's work at recouping the money and not bother ourselves sending people to jail. What's your view?
10: I think it should be taken on a case-by-case basis. I mean, if the evidence suggests there's been a repetitive attitude uh, or or, uh, engagement in such actions, then I don't think that just retrieving the money will suffice. Um, and so I I don't think that it's uh, it, it would be in our own interest to just have a fiat saying that uh, just retrieving the money is important. Retrieving is good, such that the state does not lose resources. But beyond that, depending on the nature of, of, of what has transpired, it may be necessary to go beyond that.
2: Let's leave it here. We'll be following that story keenly, and thank you for speaking to us. And thank you for having me. That's it, M. I know he's co-chairperson of the Citizen Movement Against Corruption. And like I said, uh, I'll be having an interview with uh, Deputy Attorney General Fretia Eboah on Point Blank, where he'll be explaining to us why the state came into that deal with Atueyin uh, to collect money from him uh, instead of sending him to jail. That decision was affirmed by Justice Eritcheba for when he delivered his judgment today, having been satisfied with the terms that were discussed with the state. Or agreed between the state and the accused person. This is eyewitness news on ninety-seven point three CTFM. Up next, Neteleni in studio to bring us point business news before point blank. Please stay.
0: Eyewitness news. Be there as it happens.
2: Get the details. Every significant financial transaction,
1: every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City business news.
6: Be informed.
5: Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nete Linete Ajahu. Let's settle for the details. Finance Minister Ken Oforiata has assured the various worker unions and associations of continuous consultation to ensure that the debt restructuring program alludes to the interest of all. The minister maintains that implementation of the IMF program will be clearly met with some reforms and expenditure cuts as early announced in the 2023 budget. These reforms, he says, should be accepted by all parties to ensure that the economy becomes stable. His comments come on the back of concerns raised by the Trades Union Congress and other labor unions resisting attempts by government to touch pension funds as part of measures to restore macroeconomic stability.
7: You know, all of these things are shocks that we need to analyze and then um, make determinations as to how best to move forward um, as a nation. Um, but we've been able to do um, literally the impossible in this um, difficult environment to be signing an SLA um, at, this, at this point. Um, so let's look at the opportunity that offers us and within that context, see how uh, we can save um, the funds that we have in terms of pension funds, <laughs> etc. Um, because a destabilized macro environment um, is the greatest enemy. Um, to the value of our pensions. And I think that's what we need to just suppose and then come to some conclusions. Um, so sort of um, uh, um, the issue of various um, programs, uh, including free education, I think if you, if you listen to Stefan, there was a clarity of um, the I- issue of preservation and enhancing, actually, uh, social interventions.
5: That was Finance Minister Ken Ufuyata. The agribusiness sector of the Association of Ghana Industries says it will soon activate initiatives targeted at the youth to boost the agribusiness sector. The association maintains that this continuous advocacy and partnerships with financial institutions to provide funding support to the youth will aid in making the sector an attractive venture for employment. Sharing his five-vision agenda with the media, the newly elected chairman of the agribusiness sector of the AGI, William E. J. who said the association will ensure farmers get insured with microinsurance companies.
11: The five-point agenda encapsulates my vision for the AGI agribusiness sector. The first one has to do with advocacy to encourage more young people to venture into agribusiness. And so very soon, you will be hearing a launch in youth in modern agribusiness program that AGI will be championing to ensure that we get young people into the agribusiness venture in a more sustainable way. And the second point agenda is to support a blended financing in agribusiness. In the blended financing, we're looking at the agri-insurance, climate financing and long-term investment. This long-term investment includes the zero-rated financing for viable agribusinesses. And this one would include the Bank of Ghana, the investment banks, and then also the insurance companies and all that. The third agenda is to also promote the digitalization and formalization of the agribusiness industry in Ghana. Farmers pension, social Security for farmers. We are going to ensure that we advocate for farmers to get a micro insurance and to also get social security and also life insurance and health insurance as well.
5: That was the chairman of the agribusiness sector of the Association of Ghana Industries, William E. J. Menu. The Ghana Exports Promotion Authority says it is confident in the youth and exports program will help expand Ghana's export base. GEPA rolled out the Youth in Export Program to capture some national service personnel who desire to venture into the export of made in Ghana goods. In 2020, the first batch of beneficiaries, numbering 20, received mentorship training for six months and were then provided with logistics as a head start. Speaking at the President's National Awards for Export Achievement for 2019 and 2020, CEO of GEPA, Dr. Ifua Asabi Asari, said the program is also geared towards exporting Ghanaian products to rake in more revenue for the country. The first phase
12: launched in the year 2020 had 20 young persons fully complete the program with phenomenal success stories. This year, we have scaled up and are offering 100 young persons a similar opportunity to become well-groomed exporters. This aligns perfectly with Pillar 3 of the National Export Development Strategy, which has the objective of building the capacity of exporters to enable them to compete favorably on the international market. Similarly, the output of these young exporters is meant to boost the production base of exporters, in line with pillar one of the strategy, which is to expand our export production base to meet market demand. We are hopeful that these initiatives, as exciting as they sound, will yield equally stimulating rewards in the not-too-distant future.
5: Dr. Efwa Asabi Asari is the CEO of GEPA, The United Nations Development Programme has stressed the need to institute systems to tackle uncertainty and enhance financial resilience. In the face of natural disasters in the country, the UNDP believes insurance and risk transfers can not only protect vulnerable people and countries from the adverse impact of crisis, but it can stimulate and incentivize growth by stripping away uncertainty and risk from society. Speaking at the launch of the Insurance and Risk Finance Project in Ghana, the UNDP Deputy Resident Representative in Ghana stressed the need for collaborative efforts from stakeholders to ensure persons and communities impacted by floods are able to bounce back economically.
13: Protection gaps also exist beyond uh, disaster, uh, di- disaster loss. Fi- financial exclusion, uh, the absence of legislation for mutual and cooperative insurance in developing countries and wide range of demand and uh, supply issues uh, contribute to this disparity and to subsequently diminish the resilience of uh, most vulnerable communities. In fact, it's estimated that the potential market for inclusive insurance alone is at least 4 4 billion uh, people, representing a protection gap of quite staggering uh, proportions. So increasing affordable access to insurance and risk financing has a crucial role to play in developing SDGs and uh, in delivering the SDGs and reducing the impact of weather, climate, and climate-induced disasters on development. What this means is that we need to explore all means to bring about an environment where insurance and risk finance is accessible, affordable, scalable for all uh, to build the type of resilience uh, necessary in the economy.
5: That was the UNDP Deputy Resident Representative in Ghana, Shukrob Kosh Mukamedov. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, CCBusinessNews.com. My name is Netelinetti Ajaho. Up next is Point Blank.
0: Eyewitness
6: News. Be there as it happens. <laughs>
2: of the times when we follow legal issues, the criticism against the judicial system is that people who steal plantain and goats are rotting in jail. People who steal so much from the state are not rotting because they manage to find a deal and they are out of prison. Even if they are imprisoned, they get the prerogative of mercy and they go home as free men. On Point Blank tonight... I, my guest is at the Attorney General's Department. He understands the workings of our legal system more than many. And I'm going to engage him on the latest issue that has come up in relation to someone who ought to have gone to jail, but who is paying to be out of jail. My name is Rusanda Sandamadu, and you're welcome to Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My guest is Deputy Attorney General, Honorable Afetia boy, you're welcome to, festive, uh, to Point back. Thank you, my brother. How are you doing? i am doing so well, and you? I'm fine. I mean, I know that people are not guilty until they are proving so. So when I say someone ought to have gone to jail and he's not going to jail, I think I'm not misquoting the judge, have I? You have not, because that person is now a convict.
4: So he's been convicted for stealing. So you can say he ought to have gone to jail, but he's not not, not in jail.
2: So the person we are referring to here, for those who have not been following the news, is Atu Asian, Emmanuel Atu Asian. He was founder of the bank that collapsed alongside UT Bank, Capital Bank, that's a name. He has been going for trial, or he has been on trial for three years, and at the last minute, the state announced that there was a deal that had been reached, which deal? Would mean that he would not go to jail, even if he found guilty. Walk us through how you took those steps. Uh, the proposal was it from your side that you said to you "Listen, if you don't take care, you go to jail. Bring money, so we let you go." Or he came and said, "Listen, I think I want to. Go, I'll go to jail, but I want to pay." How did it work, and what law did he use? Thank you very much. Maybe to give us a small background to the whole matter. Uh, two ACN
4: together with three others were charged with various offences. As we know, in two thousand and fifteen. Capital bank has some challenges with liquidity. So, the government of Ghana, through the Mark of Ghana, made available to the capital bank an amount of 620 million Ghana cities. So it was expected that that money was going to be used to support the liquidity of the bank. And instead of using the entire amount of money to support the liquidity position of the bank, uh, Atuician and others decided not to use the entire amount. To take an amount of 192 million Ghana cedis out of that amount to do other things. In the course of investigation, we realised that there was an aspect of stealing, there was an aspect of conspiracy to steal, there was an aspect of money laundering, then there was an aspect of abetment of crime. So we charged the four accused persons with these offences. We called about 17 witnesses. At the close of our case, the accused person put in a prayer for. So which of no case, the court, after evaluating the evidence, acquitted a fourth accused person. So they were left with three accused persons. But way back in 20, 2020, we had an offer from the counsel for atu esin seeking to take advantage of Section 35 of the Course Act, Act 459, and that's section to the effect that if you are charged with an offence which has led to an economic loss to the state or an agency of the state, then you could come to court or you could approach the prosecution, make an offer of compensation or restitution and reparation. So, Council for At-WCN made an offer in 2020 in respect of restitution and reparation. During that time, he admitted having stolen 20, 27.5 million Ghana cities. We had charged Atwisian with various counts, and I said our total amount was 192 million Ghana cities. But he said he was admitted only 27.5. Before this admission, we had realized that an amount of 100 million Ghana cities was actually sold with the capital bank. So this, this actually reduced the amount from 192 to... 92 million Ghana cities. Then, during investigations also at at Atuician refunded 1.3 million Ghana cities. So, in effect, the amount left was 90.7 million Ghana cities, approximately. So, when he made the offer of 27.5, the state rejected it. Because we were of the firm view that, looking at the evidence that we had, that amount was woefully inadequate. That was in 2020. Then in twenty twenty-one, his lawyers once again wrote to us making another offer. And this time round, the offer was to the fact that upon going through their end, they realized that the amount was rather fifty-seven point five million Ghana cities. And in that letter, they, they also indicated their readiness to offer reparation in the sum of 12.5 million to make it 70 million Ghana cities. That one too, we rejected it and said, even if we're going to take their 57.5 million Ghana cities as their admitted sum, the 12.5 offered by them was woefully inadequate as reparation. Meanwhile, we were also prosecuting the matter. We had closed our case. They had also open their defense, close their case. So the matter was then fixed for judgment. Then in the last hour, uh, we had another offer from them. And this time round, they had acceded to our demand to increase the amount from 70 million Ghana cities to 90 million Ghana cities. This means that the state was going to be compensated in court or by reparation. So they paid a the full amount. Full amount. But the full amount now includes reparation and Restitution. What's the difference between reparation
2: and restitution?
4: Restitution is exactly the amount or the item that you think you've taken from another person and you are returning that item or amount. The reparation is where you are trying to, because you, you took the amount or that item from him, you are trying to ask it where give something on top. So Compensation. Compensation. But okay. if you look at the act, they use compensation as one side, mm-hmm. the other side is about restitution and okay. reparation. So, if you look at the 90 million Ghana cities, 57.5 is the amount admitted. That's the restitution aspect of that admission. Then the remaining 32.5 is by way of reparation to the state. So,
2: if there's any interest the state is getting, that would be 32 million. 32 million Ghana cities. So the actual money stolen, which is being paid back, is around 50. The the compensation for the theft which could pass as interest on the accrued and the money then becomes state exactly that, that, that is the case. How different is this restitution reparation from the plea bargain thing that the AG's Department has been discussed all right now, if you are
4: charged with an offence in Ghana now, you may not take advantage of the section thirty five we just discussed, or if your case does not fall within the ambit of section thirty five if it does not uh, lead to economic loss to the state. And it's in result of any other matter. You may not take advantage of the Plea Bargain Act. It's now an act of Parliament. Parliament has approved it. It's been assented to by the President. It's now a binding act in Ghana. In the plea bargaining system, here you are also trying to say that I admit having committed this offence. In lieu of going to jail for perhaps 10 years, I'm prepared to compensate the victim if the victim is a state, I'm prepared to compensate the state. Then you may also say, because I'm now going to curtail the lengthy process of trial, in return, I'm begging you, state, instead of you insisting that I go to jail, drop that one. If, for example, the jail term is about 10, you can say, drop everything and make it zero. Or you also say, state, if you so are 10 years, let's agree on maybe one year. So here you are bargaining. You are giving up something. The state must also give up something. Or you have instances where a person may be charged with stealing something. Let me even take robbery. That, I've given an example. Mm-hmm. The person may want to say, what I did to me does not amount to robbery, but rather stealing. Mm-hmm. So let's enter into a bargain. So a that I, be, I, 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 I plead guilty to stealing okay. instead of robbery. But the punishments are different. Different. So you may be charged with an offence,
2: but you want to plead to a lesser offence, which carries a lesser penalty. This reparation restitution, which is Section 35, and this Plea Bargain Act, are they open to everybody? Yes, so
4: far as you've been charged with an offence under our laws, you can take advantage of the Section 35 or under the Plea Bargain Act. But to depend on the offense that you've been charged with. For instance, under the plea bargain act, if the offense is in relation to sexual offenses, you can never intend to plea again with the state. Okay. If uh, the, the offense is about treason, you cannot enter to plea bargain with the state. If the offense is in relation to electoral matters, you cannot enter the plea bargain. So there are some exceptions that you cannot take advantage of no under plea the plea bargain.
2: Yes. At what point can you go under section thirty five where is you can do the restitution? At what point can you go under the plea bargain act? Are they the same or they are different in in relation to the crimes that have been committed?
4: Yes, they are different in the sense that section thirty five is a very limited one. Thirty-five under Cost Act, it talks about economic loss to the state or a state agency. So here, before you can take advantage of that section, you must demonstrate that that offence has led to economic loss to a state agency or the state. Okay. So that's the reason I think last time we went to court, the judge wanted us to, to just make sure that we convince him. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about the plea bargain act, it's available to everyone. It matters not whether there's a loss to the state. It can even be aspect of stealing. It can be aspect of defrauded by false pretences, assault. Manner of things.
2: So if someone steals a goat, they have to go under plea bargain, not under section 35. If you steal a goat belonging to the state, okay. <laughs> then
4: you can go under section 35 because with, with that, your action has led to economic loss to oh, the state okay. or it has led to a property, to, the, to property, uh, to let to damage to a property belonging to
2: the state. And if you steal a goat belonging to X, who is not a government official or a government agency whatsoever, then it's going to be plea bargain. And does the person have to consider the state? prosecutors can still decide that, okay, this guy stole your good but he has come and he says, you paid this money, so we are going to let him be. How does it work?
4: Yes. Plea bargain has an aspect of compensation to the victim. So, a victim reports a matter to the police, the suspect is arrested, is processed for court, and then the prosecution takes over to prosecute. Before we agree with any accused person on an issue, the victim in that particular case will have to be consulted. If, for example, I end, some A enters into B's house to steal and A is arrested and B wants to enter to plea bargain with the state, we need to involve
2: the, pa- the party who came to complain,
4: the complainant, okay. okay. so that you can also know his stand on the matter. Okay. But there are instance where they may do some form of compensation. Having to, You have to make some compensation to the complainant. Okay. But if you look at the Section like said that's why it's purely for the, state. for the state. And that's the reason why we go in. We also consult the state, as you all
2: know. Okay. So now let's talk about this specific issue for which reason we're having this conversation at ACN. He has finally pleaded guilty, and this at the end of the case. That makes him... An ex convict or a convict, what does he make? It? He is now a convict. But if he pays the money, then he's an ex convict. he won't go to jail.
4: Yes, if he pays, it means that he has served his sentence. Okay. The sense about the payment. So it says that someone having been to prison, a person having been released from prison, even an ex convict. Once we speak now, he's a convict awaiting sentence. But the technical thing is that the sentence has been suspended. If he's able to go by the terms of the agreement, then he, he walks home.
2: The proposal he put before government goes all the way to next year, I think December or so, where he's going to be paying in, in installments. So it means he's working home free man today, but if he fails to make that payment by December 2023, then you can bring the, him back to the court and say the court, he has failed to pay, so want you to jail him. Yes, it's not even about December 2023. If next year by the 28th, April, mm-hmm.
4: he has even paid 19.9 million Ghana cities, mm-hmm. short of one peswa. You cause his arrest, take him to court, then automatically the outstanding sum becomes payable. The, the whole sum becomes payable. If he doesn't pay, then the court, in its wisdom and true discretion impose a custodial sentence on him.
2: There are some privileges that are not accorded to someone who has served a sentence before or someone who has been convicted. Now that he's a convict and may become an ex convict, what privileges can he not enjoy? For instance, can he be a director of an ex bank as he is a convict now or even after he becomes he becomes an ex convict? Yes, he's now a convict.
4: It carries with it a lot of limitations on his movement not physical movement when it comes to one if you look at act 930 the banks and special deposit uh, taking institutions act act 930 he cannot be a director of any financial institution he cannot hold any management position in a financial institution if you take our constitution because stealing involves dishonesty he cannot be an mp he cannot be a minister of state. And for the president and vice president, automatically he cannot. He can also not be a chief if he's a royal. He has been convicted for an offense involving dishonesty. If you take our company's act, because he has been convicted for stealing, he cannot be a director in any company. And this is in perpetuity or
2: there is a period, a statute of limitations? If you look at the
4: constitution, some of, some, some of, the, some of them have some limitations, 10 years so for the next ten years, you, you have to. This, you you, can, do you can do that. He has to wait. And if you have to speak now, the judge will indicate it in court today. His passport is still with the court. He's still on that kind of restriction. He cannot travel outside the country without the permission
2: of the court until
4: he finishes paying the
2: money. What do you say to critics who say you allowed him work because of his status in society and that? You are running a caste system, and when I say you, I mean the judicial system. i run running a caste system where some people suffer for offenses they've committed, others do not. And this instance is a clear case. That position is not tenable.
4: People sometimes have the opinion that it is only the way to the society who are protected by the laws. You can be rich, you can be poor... So far as you take advantage of a provision in the law, nobody can blame you. Now, this is my first time that Section Thirty Five has been invoked. There have been other cases, and if you go to a regents, as a private legal practitioner, way back then, there were instances where some clients took advantage of the Section Thirty Five, and even some of the clients were even charged with murders, murder, but. We entered into bargain with the state and the the charges were were reduced from murder to manslaughter. But people do not want to take advantage because their thinking has been that just let the uh, the prosecution prove their case. If they are able to prove it, then they walk free. So it matters not the position of atheism. He decided to take advantage of the law and he gave an offer that the state considered to be reasonable and this is where we are today. And let me take you back. Now, those who uh, followed the quality grain case somewhere in 2001, Mr. Kwan and the rest, in that case, the judge, Just Afre, made an indication that he was surprised that the accused person then did not take advantage of Section 35. You can remember some of the accused person making the case that they were not feeling well after a conviction, so the court should deal with them in a particular way. They were expecting them to have taken advantage of Section 35. The, the same way, yes. But in like this case, too, there was an indication of that sort. Mm-hmm. So the law has been there, but people are not taking advantage
2: of same 92. So anybody can really do that if they wanted to. Now, what was the purpose of the judgment as delivered by the judge then? If a decision, an agreement has been reached by your side, and I'm referring to the state now, and accuse the accused person, why was it still necessary for a judgment to be read? Yes, if you look at Section 35, The state may agree
4: with an accused person. That agreement is not final. That agreement is subject to satisfaction of the judge. Mm -hmm. So if the judge is not satisfied, he may choose to throw away the agreement. Or he may choose to tell you, unless you amend this clause to read this, I'm not going to endorse it. So that's the very reason why everything has to be brought to the notice of the judge for him to be satisfied first. Then, after he, he, the judge uh, 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 has seen that he's satisfied with it, that doesn't end the matter. The accused person must plead guilty to all the charges that he's agreed to plead guilty. So he pleads guilty, <laughs> and the judge will have to record the plea and thereafter convict the accused person on
2: his own plea. Okay. The judge was not happy with the amount of money being paid, but you have told us that about 30 million or so of it. It's just what you can call interest. But he was still worried about calculating the exchange rate of 2015 against the exchange rate of 2022, November, December. He thought that the state was being shortchanged. How were you able to convince the judge that the state was not going to lose money?
4: Yes. If you look at Section 35, it does not talk about interest. It does not talk about the exchange rate. It talks about reparation. A reparation is something that you may want to look at the circumstance and say, this amount is quite reasonable. We explained to the court today that, as I said, 57.5 was the admitted sum. And 32 was for reparation. But we did not take into consideration the estimate rate, but we realized that 32.5 on 57.5 was quite reasonable in the circumstance. My brother, the fact also remains that if you are bargaining... With someone, you are not sure what you are likely to get. In a criminal prosecution, we may have all the evidence at our disposal, but there's no guarantee
2: that you will win your case. So even even though you had come to the end of the case, judgment was going to be delivered, you still had a 50% chance of losing this state, where you lose that mo- the case and you lose our money. So go the uncle corner. You see, it's possible. Today there were three two of them were acquitted
4: and discharged. He could have also been acquitted and discharged if he hadn't pleaded guilty. It's possible. So if you had not been acquitted and discharged, then would said, you have earned zero. Mm. So in bargaining, you don't have to assume that your case is
2: 100%. You can never be sure. You can never be sure.
4: So that's the reason why when we, we go to that stage, we realize that fine, we we're convinced about, when our case, but we weren't 100% because we were not the ones to deliver the judgment. Mm-hmm. So looking at the probabilities, you said, fine, if you are adding $30.5 cities then it sounds
2: a bit reasonable. But what about the cost of pro- prosecution? So who pays for that? That one is the
4: state. That's why... We yeah, but that means you've still lost money. That's then? why we've been paid by the state. For example, the two and discharged, we have to waste our resource, but they saw discharged.
2: Yes. Did they get acquitted in relation to anything he may have done or has not done? Is it because he pleaded guilty, and I say Atuacian has pleaded guilty and has accepted to pay restitution? Is that why... Or the two was not connected in any way? Not connected in any way.
4: The judge had written his judgment right to the court the last time he came.
2: Yeah.
4: And from his assessment, the second accused and the third accused person they were charged with, con- for the second was charged with conspiracy to steal. That's conspiracy with attrition. Mm-hmm. He was also charged with stealing an amount of 30 million Ghana cities. And don't forget, that 30 million Ghana cities forms part of the 90.5 that we've been fighting in court. He was also charged with money laundering. The court evaluated the evidence and came to the conclusion that he had not conspired with Atwisian. He had not also stolen 30 million Ghana cities. And he had not laundered any money. So, in effect, that amount, the court has come to a conclusion that that amount was not stolen.
2: There's a street argument, again, that there are forces beyond your control that... Run this case, and that is why Twisting had to go because of the bank he was representing and who his godfather may be, and so on. What would you say? Oh, wow, that that, that cannot be the case. I said this one started in
4: 2020. He made a lot of offers to us, but we wanted to get ourselves convinced first. And if you notice, last time we went to court, he even paid 30 million out of the 90. We insisted that. If he was not ready to pay 30 million, one third of the amount, we won't even accept the 90 million I Ghana this So it's shown good faith. Good faith. So we've been so insistent on the fact that <laughs> nobody can actually influence us. You have
2: other people who are involved in the financial sector cleaner, people who cause the collapse of banks. So UT is down, capital is bang, down, a number of other banks are down. What happens to all these persons? There are some of them which are criminal, others are civil. How is that going for
4: you? Yes, some of them are in court now, facing prosecution. The UT Bank is in court now. The Uni Bank, there are some people in court now. Beige Bank, the, the gentleman is in court now. We are also now looking at the savings and loans at the microfinance. And in fact, to tell you the truth, Yoko and the other investigative bodies have done so well. They've done extensive work on these financial institutions, so we are preparing the dockets. Last two or so last month, beige Capital was in court very soon, another one may also so we are just rolling them one after the other. Our mission is to ensure that we prosecute
2: and if possible, recover. This restitution thing and the plea bargain thing is a law, but I remember when the judge you announced to him that you had come into an agreement at Wisin. He was so worried that he even talked about the uh, venture capital case. He said that when he read that he, he wept, it means that he felt that the state was being shortchanged. How far with that case? Yes, venture capital. Some people were taken to court,
4: and they also took advantage of the Section 35. The state agreed with them, and I think they were to pay over 14 or 30 million. I'm not very sure, 30 to 50 million Ghana cities. That was the agreement reached uh, between the state and the accused person. Now, when we went to court after filing, just like this one, after filing it, and we went to court, the judge said he was not satisfied with the arrangement. In actual fact, subsequently, the judge varied the terms of the agreement, and that variation. The first accused person, I think, Mr. Dukun, he had offered his property. He has some property in Kumasi and in Accra. The judge, having been notified by the defence that they had his property, in his wisdom, ordered that that property should be auctioned by the state in satisfaction of that sum. That was it, and we had made a, we have done the valuation of the property. We've caused the adverse to be made. Auctioners are on site. The last time they came, it was about the values placed on the fig- on, on, on the property. So w- the way things are going, the last step we, w- we will be taken is to go back to court for the reserve price to be reviewed so that we can auction those property to pay
2: for for that amount. So you said that documents are being prepared. On the case of Unibank, are we going to see Doctor Kamnadu for in court in the dock. He's already in court. Would he be standing in the in the in the prosecution's box where he be questioning?
4: Him? When he time his time comes. When would that time be? Now we have to first and foremost lead evidence to establish our case. If we close our case and the court comes to a conclusion that there is a prama Fashi case, then he'll be called upon to open his defence.
2: The he is currently planning to run as flag bearer of the N D C would that have any Consequence on your actions. When it comes to criminal prosecution, it matters not, whether not. Worried
4: about political prosecution? Not at all, because it started way back. If, for example, we're going to commence the prosecution now, that's when we say, "Oh, because he wants to contest." This one has been pending since 2020. We wish you all the best, and thank you for speaking to us. You're welcome, my brother.
2: That's Deputy Attorney General Honorable Alfred Tua speaking to us on well, the specific case of um, Atuisian and the other issues around plea bargain and restitution and so on, how people can take advantage of the judicial system not to sleep in jail like Atuisian is not going to do tonight, even though he has stolen, and I'm sure I'm allowed to use that word, that he stole state money. But he has promised to refund the same. That will be it for point blank on Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sandamado. Thank you for listening. Stay with 97.3 CTFM, relevant radio always. My production team tonight Beverly London, Sami Yafi, Fred Jabano, and Hansen Ajiman, as well as a new media team of CCTV and CTFM. Have a great evening. <laughs>
3: news we speak first reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on facebook city97.3fm and on twitter at city973